0: You're listening to Rabbi Daniel Appen On Demand. The more the world changes, the more we find comfort in the things that never change, never change. This is Rabbi Daniel Appen On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome, all you happy warriors, you eager devotees of the Rabbi Daniel Appen Show. I call you Happy Warriors because I see every one of you, regardless of your age or condition, as either a beautif- beautiful nubile woman or a handsome virile man. This is because this show focuses mainly on your soul rather than just on your bodies like every other show. And I suspect that almost every listener has a young and vibrant soul. What is more, We're all happy warriors because to live productively means being in a fight every single day. A fight against the force of entropy, if nothing else. After all, we fight to maintain our possessions without looking after our homes and our cars and our toys. Everything starts deteriorating. We fight to build and maintain a family We fight to build and maintain a business or a profession or a career. Life is a fight, and that's a good thing, because to stop fighting and seeking and striving, well, that's to die. And I call you not just warriors, but happy warriors, because to throw yourselves into the fight for eight or ten hours a day, six days a week, is one thing. But to do all that with a debonair smile on your face and a devil-may-care jaunty pace to your stride, to, to do all that while generating an irrepressible surge of happiness welling up in your soul. Well, that means you are spiritually grounded in everything that is life-affirming, devoted to your faith, your families, your finances, your friends, and knowing that, yes, you can triumph, over those who both intentionally and unknowingly promote a dark abyss of satanic secular socialism, as well as all the many social pathologies that it spawns. When I reveal how the world really works, it's in the hope that you will help defeat those pathetic creatures of modern secular fundamentalism, those orphans of history who possess neither Judeo-Christian fortitude nor even pagan ferocity, which would be almost welcome. Those hideous hermaphrodites and fanatical feminists running our media, education, and government bureaucracies, who possess neither the strength of men nor the intuitive wisdom of women. But, oh, what damage they manage to inflict. But never fear. Here on the Rabbi Daniel appen Show, I, your rabbi, rabbi, solemnly commit to help you transform timidity to triumph. Together, we will replace diffidence with determination and displace the divided counsel of, counsels of doubt with the steady eyes and firm hearts of those who, just like us, know exactly where we're going and know exactly how we're going to get there. We strive for success, first with our families and our faith, and then our finances and our friends, in which we form bonds of the like-minded. And after that, we'll be ready to take on the formidable task of saving our frighteningly fragile civilization from those who would force us to surrender our freedoms and our souls to the whims and dictates of those who consider themselves to be our superiors, our elites, our betters, our bosses, our rulers. But before we change the world, we have to change ourselves. And what a good start we have. All of us here together, all of us happy warriors, gentle giants with huge and humble hearts. Yes. We'll succeed jointly and separately. Before we make the world a better place, we've got to make our homes and businesses better place and then our efforts and our dreams can become leveraged, and we'll achieve so much more. And one of the secrets of all of that is banishing darkness. That's right, banishing the darkness. How do we do that? Well, I do that through the celebration of the holiday of Hanukkah, rather remarkably, because far from being a minor historic holiday, it is an absolutely fundamental festival that teaches the technique of banishing darkness with light, and I think we all understand that light is a metaphor for wisdom and knowledge. That's why we have words like enlightened, and it's why in cartoons we show that a character in the cartoon frame had a great idea by showing a light bulb over his head. Yeah, and that's why when we mean to say, I understand what you're getting at, we often say, oh, I see what you're getting at. Because virtually every culture compares light to wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And obviously, by contrast, dark is ignorant, barbaric, destructive. And so, in so many areas, whether it's in politics, whether it's in academia and in the universities, whether it's in entertainment, whether it's in business and sometimes even in family, banishing the darkness and replacing it with light has real meaning. You know what I'm talking about, even if I don't have any personal direct knowledge of your specifics. I think it's safe to say that in one way or another, every one of us at this moment is engaged in the struggle of banishing the darkness and replacing it with light. Interestingly enough, this is the only holiday in the entire Jewish calendar, which has many holidays and events, as you know. This is the only holiday that comes out on the 25th day of the month always strikes me as kind of interesting that, uh, that the Hebrew month of Kislev has the 25th day starting the holiday of Hanukkah, and usually within only a week or two, depending on how the Hebrew calendar orients each year, on the 25th of December is a, a holiday in which Christians also celebrate light-defeating darkness. And so the idea that darkness can be banished by light, that everything that darkness represents can be defeated by everything that light represents, is something that people understand. We all, we all get to that. But uh, 25 is not the only number associated uh, with the holiday of Hanukkah. Now, I have to tell you, that uh, there are no coincidences in the world. One of the reasons that I repeatedly make that point is because in the Hebrew language, in what I call the Lord's language, well, it's not just me, Sir William Bradford, the second governor of the Plymouth Colony who arrived on the good ship Mayflower in the 17th century, he also spoke of Hebrew as being the Lord's language and actually said as much uh, in the introduction to his book, The History of the Plymouth Plantation, which told the whole story of uh, the development of that first settlement uh, in Plymouth. But uh, in the Lord's language, when a word doesn't exist, it's a very good and reliable clue that that word is a false word, that the concept doesn't exist. And so in Hebrew, for instance, there's no word for adolescent, right? What is an adolescent? Well, it's usually a human being who wants all the advantages of being a child along with all the advantages of being an adult. That's that's just not real. You get to make up your mind. Are you childish or adult-like? But it's one or the other. Uh, There's no word in Hebrew for retirement, Uh, for reasons that I've discussed in my book, Thou Shall Prosper. There is also no word uh, for hero. No word for hero in Hebrew. Why? Because when people say hero, uh, they don't just mean a strong person or an admirable person. When we say the word hero, it's usually, Oh, you're my hero, and nobody should be your hero. In other words, uh, our job is not to be like anybody else. Each and every one of us uh, has our own uh, destiny, our own model of what we could become. And it's unique. It's like nobody it's like nobody else's. And we're not supposed to build our life shaping it on any other human being at all. Uh, well, another word that doesn't exist in Hebrew is coincidence. And for that reason... Uh, we take numbers fairly seriously in the the world of ancient Jewish wisdom. The fact is that uh, Hanukkah is uh, starts on the 25th day of the month, so 25 is significant. It's an eight-day holiday and unique in being an eight-day holiday. So that eight is significant. And then finally, it also is associated with the number 36. Why is that? Well, uh, as uh, some people might know, the uh, structure of the lights on Hanukkah is that on the first night of Hanukkah, we light one candle, second night two candles, third night three, sixth night six, seventh night seven, eighth night eight, and... um, The question is, how many candles do you need to buy in order to observe the whole holiday of Hanukkah? So the answer is one plus two plus three plus four plus five plus six plus seven plus eight. But that's a very slow, uh, lengthy, laborious way of computing it. Far better to use Hanukkah to teach your young children the principles of arithmetic progressions. An arithmetic progression is 13579 or 147 or one, 12345 any sequence of numbers where the gap is the same between each number uh, a zero gap in 12345 a gap of uh, of 2 if you say 1357 and so on and so forth Uh, What is the secret? What is the secret of arithmetic progressions? That the total is always the first plus the last multiplied by half the number of terms. So what is the total of uh, 1, 3, 5, 7? Well, uh, first of all, let's just do it manually to get the idea. 1 and 3 is 4, and 5 is 9, and 7 is 16. But using the formula... First plus the last, 1, 3, 5, 7. 1 plus 7 is uh, 8, multiplied by half the number of terms. Well, there are four terms. 1, 3, 5, 7 is 4, divided by 2, uh, two gives us uh, 2. 2 times 1 plus 7 is 2 times 8, which is 16. And it may, <laughs> it may seem a longer way to do it, but um, for longer uh, sequences of terms, it's actually quite handy. So if you want to know how many candles we need for Hanukkah, first plus the last, one plus eight, is because first night is one, last night is eight, that's nine, multiplied by half the number of terms, which is half the number of nights, which is eight divided by two, which is four. Four times nine is 36, and sure enough, 36 candles is the right answer of how many candles you need. So those three numbers tend to be significant uh, in the holiday of Hanukkah, 25, 8, and 36. So uh, what does that all mean? Well, let me tell you a bit more about that coming back. But meanwhile, the uh, website is rabbi rabbidaniellappin.com. And right now, a great sale price on two products. One of them is called the Genesis Journeys Set, and you've really got to go and read that up on the on the website, RabbiDanielAppin.com. Go to the store, look for Biblical Blueprint Set. Um, you're going to love it. And what's nice is that uh, it gives you not one but four separate audio CD programs that you can share with people that you care about and whom you'd like to bless in terms of spreading more light and banishing some of that darkness. It also um, also available is a uh, audio program called Boost Your Income. It speaks for itself. Uh, It is uh, focusing on three specific spiritual strategies for uh, creating financial abundance. And uh, they have been proven to work over many, many years by many, many different kinds of people. So uh, bring them into your lives with uh, Boost Your Income and and or the biblical blueprint set, all visible. You can read more about them than I can tell you at rabbi back with you in just a moment The Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, where your rabbi solemnly dedicates himself to revealing how the world really works. And one way the world really works is that you must know numbers in order to grow and progress. It doesn't matter what your goal is. It doesn't matter what it is that you're trying to achieve. But you've got to be able to uh, number it. You've got to be able to measure it. And you've got to be able to record it, and you've got to be able to monitor it, because if you don't know numbers, you are condemning yourself to perpetual stagnation. And so if you're trying to lose weight, but you don't have a scale, or you don't understand how much you weigh, and you don't keep a record of it, you're wasting your time. It's not going to happen. If you're trying to increase revenue, if you're trying to build wealth, not knowing how to count money, not knowing how to read a financial statement, not knowing how to keep your own financial records, means you're going nowhere. You're condemning yourself to perpetual stagnation. And so one of the points that uh, I make in in most everything I write and talk about is that it has to be recognized, whether you like it or not, that, and it's mostly uh, mostly people of my own faith who are uncomfortable when I say this, I have to tell you, and that is that Jews are disproportionately good with money, always have been, anywhere and everywhere, anywhere Jews have lived in any time in history, and obviously a lot of my work is translating the secrets of that success into practical terms that can be used by everybody regardless of their background, and, uh, and so one of these areas is familiarity with numbers, so much so that other cultures have seized this concept as well. Let me tell you what I mean. Well, first of all, uh, some of you might remember the old children's uh, program Sesame Street. Do you remember there was a character there called The Count? And he used to count. And, you know, everyone thought that this was just a cute play on words, but it isn't. And I don't know if it's because writers for the show were Jewish or whether there was somebody else, but, or maybe nobody on the show knew anything about it. But people who know anything about it, etymology, the study of words and their origins, will know that, um, you know, different languages stress words that are important to them. Um, In some of the Inuit languages that Eskimos speak, um, there are reputed to be 22 words for snow. Well, the details aren't important, but what's important is that anyone who hears that statistic nods his head sagely and says, Yes, of course, Uh, snow is so vital to their lives that obviously they understand subtle nuances in snow that would completely elude uh, somebody for whom it's a white nuisance that has to be dug out of the driveway but um, as when a culture emphasizes a word, has many words for something, you can know that that is important. Well, not surprisingly, the Lord's language, or Hebrew, has not one, not two, not three, but five words for counting. If you happen to be interested, they are nosé, Sofer, Choshev, Moneh, and Poked, uh, and every one of them, each one of those five, not only is the verb to count, But it's also a noun for somebody in high status, high office, aristocratic, prestigious, somebody prominent. Isn't that something? The lesson is inescapable, and that is counting is the portal to progress. You've got to be able to count. That is important, and it's played a huge role over the centuries in Jewish financial success. And I I say that because I know that right now, even in the United States of America, and uh, I very much disagree with people who say that things have never been better and this is the finest time America's ever had, um, I don't think that's true. I think – You know, it's a time where there's most choices in entertainment and communication and transport. All of those things are certainly true, but in terms of quality of life for individuals and for the for most individuals, simply not true. Uh, There's been an enormous deterioration. Life has become indescribably more expensive. In terms of hours of work needed for anything, it's become indescribably more expensive. Uh, more squalid, and as vulgarity and ugliness abound, and it's become uh, more dangerous. And yes, I, I know about crime statistics, but I also have explained in the past how apparent dropping numbers for murder owes much more to emergency room medical skill than it does to improved criminal statistics. Basically... People, the, the the statistic you should be looking at is how many violent assaults, not how many deaths, because lives are being saved. But in terms of number of violent assaults, the number is far from reassuring. Uh, why do I tell you all this? Because even in the United States of America, with so much going for it, uh, you find adolescents using that number again. Adolescents who are numerically illiterate, and that is very bad because if you don't get these skills uh, between the ages of 3 and 15, you're probably never going to really get them. And I'm not talking about advanced calculus, my friends. I'm talking about a huge number of America's high school students who are numerically illiterate, who don't have an understanding of numbers, multiplication, division, uh, how interest works, the role of the 100 number in interest calculations. This stuff should be elementary school arithmetic, and used to be, but it isn't and hasn't been for years, and children graduate, they pumped out of high school without knowing numbers. I can tell you that the likelihood of them making money in their lifetime is very low, very low indeed. There'll be some exceptional people, but for the most part, if you don't get taught numbers, well, you're in trouble. Not surprisingly, in Hebrew culture, uh, numbers are so important that we even regard numbers and counting, as I said earlier, as a portal to progress you grow and develop and achieve by being able to number and count and so numbers are very very important and we keep them that way so not surprisingly because of that emphasis on numbers yeah that's right jews have done well over the centuries in many different places Uh, When countries banish and expel their Jews, not surprisingly, it's quite common for the economies of those countries to deteriorate. Uh, Spain and Portugal are two countries case in point. Both had extremely strong, vibrant Jewish communities corresponding to the time when uh, the Spanish and the Portuguese were the, the richest among nations. Uh, Spanish explorers, Portuguese explorers, setting up colonies all around the world. Uh, Even today in Asia and Africa, there are places that still carry considerable Portuguese influence uh, from long ago. (laughs) It is a long time ago because uh, they banished their Jews. They got rid of their Jews at the end of the 15th century, and um, their – Uh, Their financial fortunes plummeted. They sank like stones. Uh, Coincidence? I don't think so. Any more than I don't think it's a coincidence that uh, when England expelled its Jews in 1290, um, things started going downhill in many, many ways. And you might well say, what possibly uh, could be the link between England being devastated by a huge famine uh, 25 years later after all the Jews were thrown out? Uh, How 20 to 25 years later, how could that be linked? Or how about the Black Death in 1348 that took the lives of millions, uh, diminishing the population of England very significantly? Or the peasants' revolt in 1381, but there it was. If you take a look, uh, the country up till 1290, England, by and large, on an upward trajectory. All right, it's it's early. We're entering the medieval period, but all of a sudden, uh, the Jews are expelled, and the economy, and, and a whole lot of other things are tied to the economy as well. You understand? I mean, it's all very well. You might grow sheep. And you might have a lot of sheep, and you might shear a lot of wool. But if there isn't a bank there to help you, number one, with financing, maybe it's time, you maybe you've got to buy a whole lot of new sheep, maybe you've got to buy feed. Whatever it is, you need financing. And then you need help marketing your wool in another country, so you want your bank to have correspondence elsewhere. But if you don't have a bank, And in those days, a lot of the banking was done by Jews, so you throw the Jews out. No banking. It's a lot of things that go downhill. And you say, what's the connection between that and famine? I think that's pretty obvious. What's the connection between that and uh, plague and the Black Death? Well, again, when uh, people are short of money, uh, disease gets a start. It's, uh, you know, cleanliness goes down, medical care goes down. Yeah, these things are all linked to a, uh, an erosion of capital and availability of finance. And so it went uh, through the uh, 1400s and through the 1500s. And finally, in 1656, uh, C- Oliver Cromwell welcomes the Jews back to England. Um, one of the uh, rabbis in Holland who had an enormous influence on the pilgrims by the way, during the time they spent in Holland before they set sail in the Mayflower, um, his name was uh, Menashe in Israel. He actually went to England and spoke to Cromwell and explained to him. Now, Cromwell was a Bible-believing Christian. He was a Protestant guy and very serious. And so he was very, he was open to the idea of bringing back the people of the Bible back to England, which he did. Well, wouldn't you be shocked to know that all of a sudden, (laughs) at the end of the 17th century, England starts ascending again. And they start setting up trading companies to trade with Russia, and then the British East India Company to trade with the Far East, and the African trading companies to start developing trading connections with Africa, gold all the way down in South Africa. All of that starts when the Jews come back to England. And, um, and the, the developments are real and very significant. It's really extraordinary. Um, y- you know, for 300 years, there were officially no Jews in England. There may have been a few number there unofficially, but basically it was out, gone, finished. And, um, uh, and so by uh, very shortly, I mean, basically as, qu- as soon as Cromwell uh, said, okay, in the middle of the 17th century, Jews can come back, about 300 Spanish and Portuguese Jews settled in London. In 1701, right, very soon after they arrived, they built a huge big synagogue called the Bevis Synagogue in London, which you can visit to this day. And it's the, actually, it's the only um, synagogue in all of Europe where Jews have worshipped continuously without break for over 300 years. Uh, From the time Oliver Cromwell welcomed the Jews back to England. Well, uh, the synagogue wasn't the only thing that the Jews brought with them. They also brought an enormous amount of capital. Um, Over five million pounds capital came back with the Jews to England. Now, five million pounds in 1656. My friends was real money. Uh, Jews financed the Duke of Marlborough's successful wars against the Spanish. That's Winston Churchill's family, and Winston Churchill's family's fortunes rose at that point. And, and who knows? Maybe that has something to do with the uh, the, the uh, very philosemitic views of Winston Churchill, uh, a descendant of the Duke of Marlborough. Um, uh, there was a Jacobite uprising in 1745. I don't want to go into it now, but uh, Jews. Um, actually provided the funds for the defense of London. And um, by the early 1700s, Jews were providing one-twelfth of all the profits being generated in England and and one-twentieth of all its foreign trade. A small handful of Jews, but it really made a difference. And it was good for everybody, needless to say. I know that with this audience, I don't have to spend time on that topic, but I know that, unfortunately, there are many people who think that it is possible for a small group in a society to benefit themselves and nobody else. That is not how God designed money and the economic system. If you, if you just think about it for a second, I don't care whether you are a plumber or a shoe repairer or a bookkeeper or a teacher or an accountant or whatever you are. Wouldn't you rather live in a – let's say you had to pick up and move. Would you like to move to a very poverty-stricken place where everyone is as poor as you? Or would you like to move to a place where you are the poorest person and everyone else around you is wealthy? Now, a lot of people say, well, if they're wealthy, how does that help me? But only a moment's reflection answers that question. Um, by the time we got to the um, 1800s, uh, Jewish bankers like the Rothschilds were prominent members of British society. They bankrolled Britain in the Napoleonic Wars. Um, and uh, uh, as late, by the way, as late as, eight, as, late as 1847, Baron Rothschild was um, not allowed to take his seat in the House of Commons. He won election to the House of Commons because he didn't want to take a Christian oath of allegiance. Um, There was another banker, then uh, Moses Montefiore. There's a big hospital in the Bronx in New York named after him. Uh, Moses Montefiore is mentioned by Charles Dickens and by George Eliot. Um, he was a very prominent Jew, and he he built a fortune in the city of London, and then he devoted his entire life to philanthropy. As a matter of fact, uh, Moses Montefiore raised the money that helped the British government abolish slavery, but uh, all of that is uh, another story and a long story, but uh, for now, Back to the topic. First of all, the website, rabbi rabbidaniellappin.com. Let's do a little commerce now that benefits everybody, me and you. I want you to take a look at the Biblical Blueprint set. It's five audio programs. You can download them after we finish today's show, and uh, or before, if you insist. Uh, and um, also, there is a separate audio program called Boost Your Income. Uh, three spiritual strategies for success again all of this is taken from ancient jewish wisdom <clears throat> uh, that's the material i teach and that's the material you can deploy in your own life very profitably indeed all of that at rabbi daniel uh, stay right there i'll be back everybody back to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin show. No coincidences, right? There just are no coincidences and particularly in the world of numbers. And uh, if there is uh, one important idea for today, uh, that is to become adept at numbers. Improve your own numerical literacy and make sure that those around you, both family-wise and business-wise, put energy into getting better with numbers. An intuitive sense of numbers lets you know very quickly whether one course of action is better than another course of action. I understand not every action can be translated into numbers, but many more can than you would imagine, depending on how comfortable you are with numbers. And so uh, there are many people who take refuge from reality by saying, oh, I've never been good at math, or I am not. I don't get numbers, I don't get math. Look, um, you know, this is like uh, a teenager with pimples on their faces, you know, and they simply say, oh, I'm just a pimply kid, that's all. No, nobody did that, right? everybody would spend the equivalent of the gross domestic product of a small nation on pharmaceuticals to try and get their skins clear. You change, you fix up. And then somehow when we get older, we lose this determination not to accept a status quo. No, it's not acceptable. The current condition is not one I want to get used to. I want to get better than I am. And if I'm not good at numbers, well, guess what? In a month's time from now, I'm going to be a whole lot better at numbers than I am now. In a year's time from now, you're not going to recognize me. I'm going to be so good with numbers. And so uh, numbers, very helpful indeed. And certainly the emphasis on numbers, certainly relevant to Jewish financial success over the years. Chanukah, a holiday with a lot of emphasis on numbers and numbering. And I told you before that uh, the numbers that are most relevant for Chanukah, well, 36 being the number of candles, I'm not going to be able to talk about that today. But uh, let's look at the next two numbers, 8 for the 8 days, 25 for the 25th of the month. So 8 and 25 are very important. By the way, that's why it is that the audio program on my website, at the store on my website, is called um, Festival of Light, How to Convert a 24-7 Existence into a 25-8 Life. Okay? But um, let me explain something again in language. In English... Uh, There's a word, P-I. Now, that's not a a pie that you eat. That's spelled P-I-E. But uh, pi, P-I, is the representation of a number. It's a constant in mathematics or in geometry. It is the ratio between the circumference and the diameter of any circle of any size anywhere in the universe. So you can look at a quarter, uh, an, an American coin. It's got a diameter of, shall we say, roughly an inch. Its circumference will be about three inches because pi is 3.1415, etc. etc. et, cetera, et cetera. Uh, You can look at the earth. The earth has a diameter. If you drill a hole all the way through from one side of the earth to the other, through the center, it'll, that hole will be 8,000 miles long, approximately. And the circumference of the earth, a little more than three times that, 25,000 miles around the equator. Um, and so pi is that number. Okay. Now, what happens if we add an N to the word pi? We get pin that you, 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 you know, if you're a dressmaker, you might pin the dress while you're sewing a seam. Uh, Then we can add an E, and we get the word pine, like a pine tree. And then we can add a letter, and we get the word spine. And we can add a T at the end, and we get a spinet, which is a small, old-fashioned piano, hopsy-chord-type musical instrument. And so by adding a letter in each time, we go from pie to pin to pine to spine to spinet. Any connection between those words? Of course not. Even the even the suggestion is ludicrous. Absolutely not. But in the Lord's language, it doesn't work that way. The numbers are very ideas, very linked. And what are words that link in this fashion? Well, um, let's go to the twenty-fifth word in the book of Genesis. And again, um, I'm counting Hebrew words, obviously. The twenty-fifth word in the text of Genesis is the word light. In the beginning, God created heaven and the earth. The earth was without any shape. The darkness was on the face of the deep, and a wind from God moved over the surface of the waters, and God said, let there be light. That's like about the 35th word in English, but in Hebrew, the word light is word number 25. Okay, no coincidences in Hebrew. The festival of light, namely Hanukkah, starts on the 25th of the month, and guess what? The 25th word of the Torah is the word light. Okay, fine. Um... But how about the twenty fifth person in Genesis? Right, we got Adam and Eve, and you got um, uh, Cain and Abel and Seth, and then you got um, uh, some generations of Cain, and send generations of Seth until you come to Noah, and then you got Noah having three sons: Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Do you know who's the twenty fifth human mentioned in the Torah? His name is Shem. After him, by the way, do we get the word Semites or anti-Semites? Uh, Shem or Sem? Uh, Shem is a son of Noah. Number twenty-five is the twenty-fifth guy. Well, okay, what's that got to do with anything? Well, I uh, I don't have I can't do this on a board for you because I, I, I'm not doing a visual a video feed. This is just audio. But uh, if I did, I would write. Shem's name on the board, two Hebrew letters, Shem. And then I would add one letter to get the word Shemen, which means oil. And I'd add one more letter and I'd get the word Shmone, which means eight. That's right. And I'd add one more letter and I'd get the word Chashmone. What's Chashmone? Well, it's, it's two things. Um, it is the name of the uh, clan that constituted the Maccabees and fought the Greeks. In what year of the Hebrew calendar? Well, that would be 3,600, actually. Remember I told you about 36? There would be 3,600 corresponding to about, I think it's 160 B.C. And um, this guy, uh, this... Um, Uh, This sequence of, of, of letters, Shem, Noah's son, Shem, 25th guy in the Torah, oil, the number eight, and Chashmona. Well, wait a sec, Chashmona is not only the Hasmonean clan, but it's also the name of a campsite, a campsite in the book of Numbers where the children of Israel are traveling from Egypt through the desert, and there's a whole listing of all the places in which they camped. Would you be interested in knowing what camp number 25 was? Well, all you've got to do is go to the book of Numbers, chapter 33, verse 29. And they went from Mitka and they pitched in Chashmona. And there you got it. That's the place. All too good to be true. Has to be a coincidence. But it can't be. There is no word for coincidence. And any In any event, when too many coincidences pile up, Even the skeptic is compelled to acknowledge that coincidence is not an adequate explanation. And so, uh, sure enough, 25th guy in the Torah is Shem. The 25th campsite is Hashmonah with the eight. The word eight is wrapped up in that, and it's eight lights and eight uh, days of Hanukkah. And uh, all of this, begins to come together in a holiday that focuses on and celebrates the idea of numerical literacy Uh, because through numbers, it becomes easier to defeat darkness. With numbers, we can use the light of numbers to defeat the darkness of ignorance. Numbers and the ability to read numbers Uh, How often do you find yourself misled by statistics? And I think everybody knows that any time you read in the newspaper or you watch somebody on television saying studies reveal, experts insist, you should change channels because all that means is that they are going to use some numbers to try and befuddle you. Uh, The better you get at numbers the better is your self-defense against being muddled up by people flinging around numbers, hoping to persuade you. There are also some very good books on numerical literacy that uh, you should look out for. And uh, and just spend some serious time over the next month improving your ability with numbers, whatever it is, if you... Uh, if, if you know certain things go beyond that if you uh, if you don't yet know how to read financial statements get yourself uh, a book or two from the library on doing that um, if uh, how about statistics get some books and they're lovely there's beginner stuff there's stuff you can. Uh, By the way, you can also see on the Internet, but there are also books you can get, uh, not particularly new books, but books have been around for a while that give you insights and understanding into how statistics are used accurately and how they're used misleadingly. All of these things are part of the message of ancient Jewish wisdom that comes across in the holiday of Hanukkah. Alrighty, folks. That is about as far as we're going to go for today. But I thank you very much indeed for being part of the show. And um, I again, I thank you. Many of you are helping to promote the show. You're obviously telling a lot of people about it because the number of platforms we're on is increasing, the number of downloads is increasing, and uh, it's very exciting for me. Really, it, it just it 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 throws me into the task of preparing and recording a show for you every week with enormous enthusiasm. As I'm sure you know, I don't often do interviews with other people from time to time when I think it's it's warranted I do, but the rest of the time I consider it my duty not just to entertain you or inform you or bring you interesting things from other people because there's plenty shows that do that. My job is to equip you with added tools in your toolbox derived from ancient Jewish wisdom in ways that you can use to improve your family life, your social life with friends, your financial life, and yes, even your faith life. And so I wish you good times in the upcoming week in all those areas of faith, family, friendships, and finance. Have a great week. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin. God bless. Spilling ancient solutions to modern problems in areas of family, faith, friendship, and finance. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network.